The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. What's in my podcast? This is an exciting episode. I've been waiting for this moment for a very long time, Nathaniel. Me too. I, I honestly am surprised we actually haven't done this one sooner. I, so n- people probably don't know this about us, but we have a great, deep abiding love for the Mothman. You know, that that glowy-eyed flying boy. And and I think later on in the podcast, uh, we can kind of talk about why we love him so much. Because I always tell people he's my favorite cryptozoid of them all. Over Chupacabra, over Bigfoot, over Loch Ness, over Jersey Devil, like Mothman. Dang. Mothman is number one. Of all the cryptids, wow. So it's going to be an action-packed episode. I think we've done our research on not only this urban legend, but the story that affected Point Pleasant, West Virginia. We've read a book. We've watched the movie. We have a guest interview. It's going to be an amazing episode. And if you love the Mothman, you're just going to get all of your needs met here. Yeah, that wasn't an uncomfortable way to phrase that at all. Let me take a drink. That sounds... You need to rehydrate after that? Exactly. Yep, it's the Mothman. He gets me excited. Oh, we're going to have to put a disclaimer on this episode. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely getting an explicit tag just from this intro. (laughs) Um. All right, Nathaniel, let's. I think we should just dive in feet forward. Feet first, feet forward. What's the cliche? Let's talk about about the Mothman. So, what is this Mothman? Mothman definitely, I think, falls into a little bit of my occult corner. Uh, He's not occult in any which way, but of course my occult corner deals with urban legends and cryptozoids and and all sorts of kind of the the supernatural and the the paranormal. And And the Mothman, to me, is kind of the golden standard when it comes to cryptozoid sightings. So the story goes, from November 1966... To November 1967, there was this creature that was seen multiple times by multiple different people to be this kind of humanoid figure with these huge wings. And the main feature that most people would remember, of course, are these glowing red eyes. And I have information about that, but we'll get back to that. Uh, So technically, the first sighting was on November 12th. There were five men who were digging a grave at a cemetery near Clendenin, West Virginia, and they, they see this creature, and of course they have no idea what's going on. And the weird thing, though, is, Nathaniel, three days later, there's a car incident where this couple and some friends were driving on the road, and all of a sudden they 
see this thing and they describe it as a humanoid figure with a probably 10 feet tall with this giant wingspan and these glowing red eyes and it's chasing them it's not just appearing it's not like a orb or a ufo it's actively pursuing the car um, and something that they are very keen to know is this was close to a world war ii site a bombing site excuse me not a bombing site it was a tnt area a site of a former world war ii munitions plant to be a little bit more specific there uh, and after and after november 15th of 1966 lots of people saw this creature it wasn't just these two incidents the town of point pleasant people have said was haunted by sightings of the mothman um that's kind of the the coined term they gave this creature uh, because of the wingspan, the big glowing red bug eyes, and people... And also, like, yeah, they were comparing him to Batman. Like, yeah, Batman yeah. was a popular comic book at this point in time, and they said it was, it was kind of like Batman, but maybe a little bit more, I don't know, mothy, and then Mothman stuck. <laughs> and I mean, moths are gross as is, so magnify it by ten, and it would scare anybody. Or at least eat your sweater. <laughs> there you go. An alien that only cares about your sweaters. The big Oh, so that's moment... what you think he is? Uh, well, we'll get to that, Nathaniel. Put you... <laughs> you, got, you got ants in your pants? You got moth in your pants? See what I did there? So the kind of the ultimate story of the Mothman, and essentially why he became famous, is in November of 1967, so approximately... A year after the first sightings, uh, there was a collapse of the Silver Bridge, which connected West Virginia to Ohio. And this bridge ultimately, this bridge collapse, ultimately killed quite a few people, 46 people in total. And this was, of course, right after the Mothman had been seen on that bridge. And so he started to be perceived as this like omen or harbinger of death. You know, and exactly. that maybe all those appearances were, were some sort of warning up until that point. Exactly. And the day of the Silver Bridge collapse, several people said that they saw him flying over the bridge or on one of the supporting beams of the bridge. Again, the interesting thing with Mothman to me is it's not just three people who are out in the middle of the desert drunk who see the chupacabra and that's what we have to go on. It was a whole city over a year multiple sightings and then this very big event happens where people die it's kind of hard to rationalize that a little bit especially for those people living in point pleasant i imagine they felt that this was all very very real and they were almost under attack so that's kind of the the main story of the mothman there have been other sightings which I'm less keen to believe. In 1999, there were some Russian ufologists who thought that he was seen right before the Russian apartment bombings. In 2016, WCHS-TV published a photo, and I'm doing air quotes because, you know, this is a visual podcast. <laughs> they purported this image to be the Mothman, but then when zoologists were asked to look at the photo they were like oh yeah this is x and x bird and it's carrying a snake it was very obvious then most recently that i'm aware of and nathaniel you mentioned this was in 2017 55 people around the chicago area claimed to see him so those i think are a little less authentic to me 
Nathaniel, I was listening to a conspiracy theory podcast last week in preparation for this movie, and they were they even went as far as comparing Mothman to the Ocular Man, who is a very well known kind of image from the Nazca lines, kind of supporting the alien theory. Uh, and and again, there are so many cryptids out there that you could kind of correlate with Mothman. Owlman, the Popobawa, Springhill Jack, even the Jersey Devil. There's a, there's a lot. And I, I think before we kind of dive into the book and the movie, um, I just kind of wanted to go over a few of the different theories that people have about what Mothman is. Of course, you have your theories that think that he is a cryptozoid. That would be you know, some sort of weird bird-insect hybrid that somehow brings a warning of danger or death. You know, animals have been known to kind of freak out whenever a natural disaster is about to hit. Um, unfortunately, my pet beta fish, Steve, did not warn me about the Utah earthquake in March fighting over that yeah that was very it's a very tender subject (laughs) um (laughs) so there's that theory but also i think the more kind of common and agreed upon amongst cryptozoologists would be that either he is a, a an alien and there was a lot a lot of stories before mothman was even seen about these weird you know men in black visiting point pleasant and kind of this alien esque storytelling going on in the area before Mothman even came. So a lot of people mm-hmm. think he was a alien pet that may have escaped, or he was an alien himself. People also think he's a demon, because whenever anything bad happens, my buddies get the blame. <laughs> I don't think he's a demon, but a lot of people do. Other theory that I think is actually pretty substantial would be that he's either some new scientific research that came out of the World War II compounds that were in the area. So maybe humans were testing out a jetpack or night vision or something of that nature. A glider, that kind of thing. Exactly. Or that he was a mutant, that something happened with Nazi science that America's clearly involved with, and he was some sort of weird chimera of a human mixed with a, a bird or a Whatever. That aspect of the theory gets a little crazy. (laughs) And then, of course, there's this idea that Point Pleasant just kind of went through this cultural zeitgeist with the Mothman. That I'm a very firm believer that there's a universal subconscious, and if enough people start talking about one thing, that no matter who you are, you might start subconsciously believing in this, and then your brain will start to manifest it. For you, not because you're actually seeing it, but because there is a very primal need to fit in with a community. So, if your entire city is claiming they're seeing the Mothman and you want to see the Mothman so bad, you might start seeing the Mothman. And then finally, which is really probably the only real theory, is it was a bird. <laughs> Yep. A large owl or some sort of heron. Um, and that makes the most sense, honestly, which Occam's Razor tells us that the, the simplest outcome is the most likely, and that's probably what it is. So there we go. And along those lines, 
typically when it's depicted in stuff by artists, you know, yeah, we have those those red glowing eyes. The interesting thing is that really that mostly comes down to kind of like a secondhand account of the Mothman. That someone mentioned glowing red eyes. Most people actually in their original reports said that if they like shined a light at it or something like that, then the, then they saw the eyes reflect back. You know, and, and it was often compared to like bicycle reflectors or things like that. So to me, that says the glowing red eyes is is kind of what has gotten into the the popular zeitgeist, but isn't necessarily actually what people were encountering. And yeah, like a lot of animals, like birds and cats and stuff, will have you know a, a certain layer in their eyes that makes it reflect like it does to light. And so. Yeah, that that makes sense that it would be a bird and would, you know, reflect in a very piercing, you know, creepy looking way. But I mean, anyone who has seen a cat when you're driving around out in the middle of the night or something like that knows how eerie that looks. So, you know, if that's up in the air, just a little bit above you. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary. And yeah, like there's some really freaking big birds out there like condors. I don't think it was a condor necessarily, but, you know, it, it could be a pretty good-sized wingspan bird that was or just going through the area over, you know, a year and then moved on. Yeah, people would think that, you know, especially if it's flying low enough, people could very well think that it was this Mothman. So, so that is really interesting. And when we kind of wrap up the episode, I, I really want to kind of dissect why we love the Mothman story so much. And and why I think he's lasted this long. Yeah. Um, but to stay to stay on track, Nathaniel, um, Mr. Literary Philosopher, English major. Um, uh, English teacher. Talk to us about uh, that too, I guess. Mm. <laughs> talk to us about The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. This was a kind of the, the book that inspired the movie. Yes, and uh, we might want to use inspired fairly loosely here, as it turns out. Very all capitalized. <laughs> yes. Okay, so The Mothman Prophecies <laughs> is by John Keel, who is a fairly, or who was a pretty prominent uh, ufologist, especially during this era. So, you know, in the 60s when all of the stuff that happened in Point Pleasant happened. He heard that there was some interesting activity going on. He went down, he had to check it out. Because he's a ufologist, that's what, what he does. So the book is really kind of him laying out a lot of the weird stuff that was going on in Point Pleasant uh, around this period of time. And, and shares some of his theories of, of what, what he thought was going on. I've read a number of books by ufologists, uh, most of which have been very kind of kooky and unconvincing uh, in their arguments about you know UFOs and aliens and all sorts of stuff. But in this case, I found that the way that the book was written was much more convincing and fact-focused than a lot of other books along those lines, uh, which I, I found refreshing personally. Did, did you feel that way as well? Yeah, actually, I, I thought kind of the fragmented story by story, it almost felt like journal entries in some regard. Yeah. And that that kind of embellishment of the story made it feel a lot more realistic and authentic um, and, and almost gave it a scientific kind of a feel. It felt like a, a biologist in the wild kind of collecting all of these stories and then making his assumption. 
Yeah, and um, and and th- I think that's definitely what John Keel was intending to do was to you know try to try to collect these stories in a way that was you know kind of proving that you know there is much more in the in the universe uh, and and much more visiting Earth than we necessarily officially know about humans. And so, you know, this this was, you know, definitely a piece of nonfiction where, yeah, he was trying to collect reports from people and posit his theories based on those reports. And just to piggyback off of you one more time, I, I, I think that's how you tell a story like this. You know, we often hear alien abduction stories or, hell, even demonic possession stories or ghost hauntings, and it feels so dramatized, fabricated, fantastical. It's very clear that there's embellishment going on. Mm -hmm. And in John Keel's book, I kind of got bored occasionally, not because that the content was boring, but just it felt like I was almost reading a scientific journal. Yeah. Um, and, And that, I think, lends to some of the the credibility of the Mothman, and we can get to this later, but uh, I was really impressed with how it was presented. I, I didn't feel like I was reading some guy's UFO story just trying to get famous, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and like, I think along those lines, you know, this is just one of a number of, of books that John Keel wrote based on investigations he did, you know, kind of all over the country as a UFOlogist. And also, you know, I, I just think that it's really interesting because you know, for a book called The Mothman Prophecies, Mothman really isn't that present in the book. You know, he, he certainly kind of starts out talking about, you know, this this cryptid and, and a lot of the weird stuff around the Mothman. But he very quickly goes into a lot of the other stuff that he started to hear about uh, around town. Um, you know, there, there were many instances of people who were, um, you know, approached by strange men in black suits, you know, the, the the kind of stereotypical men in black from the government who come in and just tell them, like, hey, uh, stop talking about the weird thing that you saw, and then leaving. There were instances where people were meeting these very peculiar people who, you know, would, like, come and visit and just talk about weird stuff and, and like, not really sound even like fully human uh and then just leave and and there's like what who was that person like why were they there like why did they come to our house there was a lot of stories and 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 a lot of those things you end up do kind of being played with a little bit in the movie uh but to me i think the most notable one was the the number of instances where there is a certain man who is interacting with basically an alien for lack of a better term, who's going by Indrid Cole. Yes, Indrid and Indrid Cole. You can't have the Mothman without Indrid Cole. They go very hand in hand, and this goes back to what I was talking about. It, Point Pleasant had a lot of this weird activity going on before Mothman even came around. Yes. And so, yeah, Indrid Cole is, you know, regularly contacting this one guy, and, and he's telling him lots of information about the universe you know he even allegedly like took him on like little rides around uh, on, on like on, on in a spaceship all sorts of interesting stuff and you know it seemed like Indrid cold was you know, kind of out he and 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 like was was seen by multiple people you know most people just saw him from a distance but then you know he 
just kind of really palled around with one guy in particular. And so the book really kind of digs into that. Um, it doesn't necessarily spell out, you know, who this, you know, being is exactly. It, it definitely posits some uh, theories. Then, you know, there's also like other people who are you know, other uh, entities that were working with Indrid Cold. Um, something I found interesting that I, because I was looking it up, the name Cold for uh, like a, an alien encounter, you know, as being used as a last name is actually really common. Um, you know, people kind of throughout the world who have claimed to have had inter- uh, alien encounters where they like uh, had discussions with the aliens and the aliens introduced themselves, a fair number of them have said that the being used the name Cold. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, I have not heard that before. That is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I was trying to ma- see if it like had a, a, any meaning or, or whatever, just because it's an unusual name. Uh, to say the least, and yeah, that's that's kind of what I. So there was a lot of stuff going on in Point Pleasant. One critique I do have of the book is that you kind of, can, or it, it's it's pretty clear that John Keel expects you to have a certain amount of knowledge of ufology going in, or or at least to accept the idea or a lot of kind of basic ideas of ufology. You know, he he would reference some kind of more intensive, hardcore conspiracy ufology stuff as if it was just like an established fact. And I didn't love that that was kind of the base point from which I should be jumping off and, and kind of looking at all of the other stuff that happened, you know, that, that he chronicles in the Mothman prophecies. Because to me, that was kind of too far out of a place to, to have as my starting point. Yeah, kind of written by a ufologist for ufologists on behalf of all ufologists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like his intent was to try to persuade the public that all of this stuff was going on and that we should be paying more attention to it. But if, yeah, if if your base point is not the layperson, but rather someone of at least moderate ufology experience... To me, that's uh, you're not going to succeed at your goal as well as you would otherwise. So that was interesting uh, to to just kind of notice throughout. Yeah, I, like I felt like he he was very eager to accept the more radical possible explanations of everything, which is fine. Obviously, like that's his he he's dedicated a lot of his life to chasing after uh, you know weird things that happen in the world. It, it seems natural that he would want to have a certain level of kind of, I guess, wonder in the world for lack of other way to phrase it. But, but yeah, there, I just felt like there was sometimes much more accessible explanations that he would only briefly nod at if he referenced them at all, uh, which I think was unfortunate because I feel like even with, um, you know, rational explanations for a lot of the stuff, there were still some really weird things that happened. Like, phone calls that would just like persistently harass certain people over and over and over again, like phone calls just at random times of the day, all day, every day. And and they would change their number and it would suddenly start happening again. Like stuff like that. That was really weird. I was super interested in that. And I was like, man, that would be a really weird thing and really awful thing to happen. There's just a lot to unpack. I, I, de- I definitely recommend it for anyone who is interested in cryptids or ufology or things like that. I think it's an interesting book and it definitely pre- presents a lot of interesting information, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily 
come to the conclusions I think it should necessarily come to. I think it's a good jumping off point, though, where we can move from book to movie. Uh, so the book was written in 1975, and the movie was released in 2002. So about 27 years in between the two. The movie opened up a lot of tourism, I think, to Point Pleasant. Uh, when the movie dropped, the city actually started its very first Mothman Festival. And it really kind of became another cultural icon in our community, weirdly enough. What are you doing here? Somehow between 1 and 2.30, I traveled 400 miles. I've got no memory. past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things. In 2002, Nathaniel, you and I were 12 years old. This is a movie that is fairly new. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing it in the movie theater and watching it with you at, in college. It's something that hasn't been around that long, but again, I think kind of made a fairly good impact on cinema and the horror community and really our culture. Because again, Mothman is high up there among other cryptozoids like Bigfoot and Chupacabra, where people know who he is now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not this isolated event that happened in in Point Pleasant. And I think a lot of that uh, comes from the movie. So the director of Mothman Prophecies is Mark Pellington, and the writers were actually Richard Hatem and John Keel. He helped actually write the movie. Uh, the three kind of stars actually, of the movie are our dear Richard. Let, let me clarify. It looks like that, that he, they credited him just because he wrote the novel, but actually Richard Hatem did the whole screenplay. Oh, excuse me. Good catch. So the three stars of the movie, we've got Richard Greer, uh, love him. He plays John Klein. Nice little change there from John Keel, the author of the book. Deborah Messing from uh, Will and Grace fame plays Mary Klein, his wife. And then we have Laura Linney plays Connie Mills, who's kind of the, the main detective slash cop of Point Pleasant, helping Richard Greer kind of figure out what's going on. Uh, it's Richard Gear. Gear, Greer, ugh, it's one of those names I cannot say without saying it wrong. It's G-E-R-E, Gear. Ugh. So the movie, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, is vastly different than what you find in John Keel's book. Um, it is very inspired on the events that he wrote about. However, uh, of course, Hollywood kind of had to create a narrative around the events, and so there's, for me at least, it's a lot more supernatural and darker quote-unquote i wouldn't call it a dark movie but they they kind of create this mothman figure to be very nefarious and have a very strong kind of purpose in the movie if that makes sense see i'm, I'm actually not 100 convinced um, of that um and and we can kind of get into it a little bit more but sh should we maybe just kind of hit, hit the main story notes before we jump in more of, of what kind of what, what worked and what didn't and, and kind of how Mothman played into it. Okay, so basically what we have is that John Klein and his wife, uh, Mary, are you know, kind of out one night. Uh, they're in their home. They live in, what, New Jersey, something like that. They're driving home one night. Uh, they see a weird flash of something fly over them. It makes them you know, end up, you know, crash or get in a car wreck. His wife is definitely saw something. He He's not sure what he saw. And then shortly after that, you know, they find out that she has a brain tumor. She is dying. You know, she ends up dying uh, in the first, you know, kind of act of the movie. 
then you know kind of it fast forwards about a year or so and 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 by the way john klein is a uh, newspaper reporter and then he starts you know hearing a little bit about uh this mothman and, and he and this has been on his mind because as his wife was dying she drew all these weird pictures that looks like the mothman and some people are like oh it's angels but it looks kind of a little bit too freaky for angels and so that kind of gets his also no one who has ever drawn anything in this kind of a setting is it angels the pictures they always draw are very dark and spooky and crazy and i love it I'm yeah sorry. she's drawing angels it looks like it is literally <laughs> like consuming something as it bursts out of hell but whatever and a very dark bat-like wings giant red eyes very satanic and it's angels yeah it looks like it should be on the on the on like a black laugh. metal album cover exactly but anyway regardless of people's uh claims that angels look like that apparently the so so you know that that's got his interest and so he starts hearing a little bit of stuff about like hey there's some weird stuff over in Pound. Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And then, like, one night he is driving his car. He's supposed to be driving to, I don't know, meet with, I think, the governor of West Virginia or something. But then he just, like, ends up in on the opposite side of the state in Point Pleasant, just kind of by happenstance. His car breaks down. He goes to this house. The people there are being very hostile towards him and they're like, you've been at our house every night for, you know, for, like, three or four nights. And it's you know, in the middle of the night, and they start pointing a gun at him. A cop shows up to help defuse the situation, which is uh, Laura Linney's character. And then he ends up getting to a motel, and he's like, "I don't know, even know how I got here. It doesn't even make like possible. Like it's it's not even possible for me to have traveled this distance in that amount of time." So he's freaked out. He he ends up sticking around town and starts to kind of dig around and and starts to you know hear more about this, you know bull sighting the Mothman and also the weird guy who pointed a gun at him, uh, who is uh, played by Will Patton. The character's name is Gordon Smallwood. He has seen some weird stuff, and also he started being contacted by this entity called Indrid Colt. So he's kind of playing that that character uh, from the book. Then not that much happens, honestly. Um, lots of investigating. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, like, just kind of weird spooky moments but nothing that concrete happens you know he, we have john klein go and talk to someone and then like it will like have a brief flash of mothman but it's like literally like a tenth of a second on the screen and then you know it's supposed to make us jump and go oh that would have been freaky to see whatever that was jump out of your tree or whatever you know we, we kind of hear a watered down version of the story of, of the kids in in their car which is kind of the the most famous Mothman story other than the bridge one. Oh, and by the way, all of this is like modernized. Like this is as if it was happening, you know, in the nineties, not in or you know, like late nineties, early two thousands, not in the sixties, like in the book. Then basically, uh one night, you know, Gordon calls John and uh, at the motel and is like, He's here with me, he wants to talk to you. Indrid Cold wants to talk to you, and then it's like this really weird layered voice. That's actually where we got our uh, quote from the beginning, is that, you know, Indrid Cold starts telling him things that he shouldn't be able to know. Uh, and that includes, you know, you know, just to kind of test him, he's like, uh, what's what's in uh, my, 
or yeah, you know, what what book do I have on on my nightstand? You know, and he tells him what book it is, and then he starts like looking around, like is he seeing me throughout the window? And he like hides his hand in the dresser after pulling something out of his pocket, and he's like, "What's in my hand?" Chapstick. He opens it up, and it's chapstick, and it's all spooky, which is the only time that the word chapstick has been spooky ever, and it makes me giggle incessantly. Um, and I, I think right there, though, Nathaniel, plot points aside, is the movie, what it does right is it does feel very ominous and very creepy. Like, it takes the word chapstick and, and definitely spins it in a way that not only makes you giggle, but also is a little unsettling. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not visceral horror by any means. Even the few jump scares that they do with the Mothman um, is definitely more kind of like a drama, crime, kind of figuring out Scooby Doo esque. What is the Mothman? Yeah, you know what what is the Mothman? What is Indrid Cold? Are they the same being? Are they different beings? In fact, that was actually something that I wanted to ask you. When you watched the movie, especially the first time, did you think that the Mothman was injured Cold? No. And I, I, I don't think they're the same person, but I can see where you're coming from, for sure. Upon rewatch, I realized that's probably not the intent. But the first time I watched it, I thought that, the, that you know, he was talking to the Mothman on the phone. Like, I didn't realize that there's supposed to be multiple entities at work. And so I don't feel like it necessarily does the best job of kind of fleshing that out of like, hey, there's a lot of weird crap going on in Point Pleasant, not just the Mothman. So I think it could definitely play that up a little bit more. I personally love the I love the theory that Mothman is actually Indrid Cold's pet <laughs> that escaped from some sort of UFO and so Indrid is trying to investigate and figure out where his little Mothman went. I don't know, I just think it's a charming kind of play on the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of jumping back to the plot of the movie. So there's also this kind of like vague half love story thing going on. It's it's not super lovey dovey. Yeah. Basically, just like maybe it's a love story. Maybe it's just like a good friendship between John and uh, the cop, uh, Laura Linney's cop character Connie. You know, she's helping him out, helping him kind of navigate and and break down some barriers with with people who saw things and who reported it to her. And then he ends up leaving for some reason. Just to, like go home because it's just all too much for him and he's thinking too much about his wife or something like that. And then she calls him and is like, you should come have Christmas dinner with me. And it's at that, you know, basically he is driving back and he's like, yeah, I, I should. Uh, and and then that's when the, the bridge collapses and of course they're both on it when it happens and they barely escape and it's all dramatic. You know, roll credits. It's an interesting movie. Um, I, I like it. Overall, I think acting is pretty superb. Um, and we've... I will say that it was solid, except I didn't like Will Patton's acting. I felt like his take on, you know, weird guy who's being contacted by an alien was a little bit too spaced out for me. I don't know. And, and kind of cliched. Very... Very cliched in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's fair. Is that he felt like he was playing a caricature of you know that type of yes. character from other things when everything else like I don't know the rest of the approach to it seemed much more kind of grounded in reality. And so him just going, he spoke to me and came down. I don't know. It just it sounded a little bit too much. Yeah, stoner in 
the desert and i don't know just like he he's he's too good of an actor for him to be that ridiculous in that role i thought so that was a shame but um i agree that the rest of the acting was was good and to clarify and i want to clarify earlier when i mentioned that i think mothman is kind of more of a prominent theme in this um the show itself the movie doesn't actually we never see mothman fully it's always in little snippets or remembering or kind of flashbacks there's no actual moment where we see who mothman is or what he is which i appreciate because a lot of monster movies just show us the monster and once we see the monster we're not afraid anymore what i meant by he's kind of more of a prominent figure is i i feel like the the movie's entitled mothman prophecies i feel like the driving plot of the film is about this entity that people are seeing and it does have, I think, a very kind of nefarious tone to it. This is a bad Mothman. He's doing bad things. And then at the end, it results in the collapse of Silver Bridge. And that's kind of what I was getting at. See, uh, which is true to the real Mothman story in some regard. That he was an ominous figure who brought upon calamity. See, and, and to me, I and, and, and this is both, I think, true of, of the book and the movie. I don't think that, like, the bridge collapsing is his fault or anything i think honestly and 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 i felt like this was true but you know in the movie as well that like he just kind of just does his own thing like he's just flying around he's just looking around just doing his own thing and then people see him and get freaked out because he's freaky looking obviously big glowy scary man and they like gave him like a freaky mouth and everything in the in the movie too but like i think he's just like passing by and people are like holy crap, there's a monster. And I don't know. I just, I felt like most of the times when he showed up, it, it was random and didn't have any necessarily meaning, like in any meaning to it. And it wasn't until, you know, we have some sightings of him on the bridge that he, you know, seems like some sort of foreboding thing. And, and in fact, to me, I felt like Indrid Cold and a lot of his vague warnings about something bad going to happen and, and, you know, the numbers that he's spouting and all of that. To me, he seemed more of like a, a nefarious character because it seemed like he was providing information about some sort of awful disaster that was going to happen, but not enough to actually do anything about it. So to me, Indrid Cold is, is much more of a sinister figure than the Mothman. The Mothman's just kind of doing his own thing. It's, it's kind of how I see it. Do you think then it's circumstantial that whenever the Mothman is, you know, take the bridge, for example, the Mothman was just in... The wrong place at the wrong time? Well, I mean, I, I think it's just that, like, like, yeah, maybe he's drawn to the the bad thing that's going to happen, you know, the energy that's there or something like that. But I don't think that he is causing anything. I think he's just, yeah, like, he's hanging out maybe in places where something bad's going to happen. But but to be fair, he also just kind of shows up in random other places around town. It, 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 almost, it honestly seems oh. more circumstantial than anything. Let's talk about some of the other plot points that maybe we weren't huge on. The movie itself is honestly kind of boring and is a very, very slow burn. Like you mentioned in your quick plot synopsis, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't happen. Yeah, the, <laughs> like, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's a movie where I, I felt drawn through it, you know, multiple times that I've watched it. I enjoy sitting down and watching the movie, but it is slower paced. 
for sure. You know, there's not a lot of action. Almost anything that's interesting that happens happened in the past. It's, you know, people telling John about what happened to them. And, like, that's cool and that's interesting. But, yeah, there's very little that's actually, like, present threat, present danger, present anything. And so, yeah, it just kind of really slows everything down because we don't have a, a character getting chased or anything like that. Like, it's not until the bridge collapses that anything actually really happens to him directly. And on top of that, it is a pretty cheesy vibe to a lot of the scenes. It almost feels kind of like a cheesy detective show that you'll see on cable mm -hmm. sometimes. But again, but again, it's fun. And there's something about it that does draw you in. It's one of, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite movies, but I thoroughly enjoy The Mothman. I've watched it multiple times. And as we know, I can talk about it nonstop. There is something about the story that I think kind of drags people in yeah and and i feel like yeah a lot of the cheese really just comes from like it's inherently a, a kind of a ridiculous idea and like i felt like they did a good job of right. kind of giving it the gravitas of you know kind of what that that real life experience is of, of like if you see something weird in the woods even though it's silly to say it was a mothman it still would freak you out right and so I, I feel like it, it, it has yeah, to balance that. And, and you know, it, it is very much uh, a, a horror movie that was packaged as a thriller for the biggest audience possible. It's PG-13, you know. And so I felt like a certain level of cheese is just going to be there with any Mothman story. And, and, yeah, like, ultimately, it's just not very scary because that's not going to be the the big crowd pleaser especially around this period of time when this movie came out like any safe mass market horror that wasn't you know more of a niche kind of thing was yeah it, they tended to play it very safe a little bit cheesy and it you know made decent money so yeah so it didn't have to be scary and and, and i'm glad that they didn't over dramatize the story that much to make it you know super freaky it's just a it's just a creepy movie throughout the whole thing. And I think another aspect to this is the nineties, when we look at horror in the nineties, and I think we should probably do an episode on this eventually, Nathaniel, we we were coming out of a golden age of horror in the eighties. The nineties and early two thousands, there's something that was missing almost. And I think you made a good point when a lot of the horror movies that I can recall that were made in this time, you know, Twister, Mothman. They were PG-13 to reach a larger audience. Mm. And back in the 80s and early 70s, uh, they just didn't care. They were making these slasher movies, and they were very almost progressive for the time. And so there is this kind of weird disconnect. It feels very Sterile. 90s. It, it f yes, yes, great, great word. But again, the story, I think, is so universal. We've all been camping in the woods. And we think we see something that, you know, scares our pants off. And then our brains start to kind of cyclic think and create this narrative that probably never really ever happened. We heard a, a leaf fall off a tree and now we think it's the Mothman. And so I think that speaks to a lot of people. You have a note here 
that they you don't love that they modernized it for the 2000s mm-hmm. do you want to make mention of that real quick so just to me I, I didn't love that they set the story of the film in you know 2000 ish like to me that didn't actually contribute anything to the movie and really just made it kind of baffling to me when i actually started you know looking into the the real story about you know the the silver bridge and all that it just it it didn't make sense that they would just move it forward 40 years when that doesn't to me you you modernize a movie if you're going to do something that is different that is fresh that is unique uh that you can only do with like modern technology or things like that in this case it just if anything i felt like it, it kind of inhibited the story because they then had to you know try to play around with you know cell phones and things like that it just kind of overcomplicated the plot in some ways when if they had just said it in the 60s when all of this stuff actually happened it would have been so much more grounded in in the things that were happening and the and the mentality of the time and all of that i don't know it just it didn't contribute if anything i felt like it took away from the some of the potential storytelling elements and i think honestly at the end of the day it would have been would have benefited from being almost a mockumentary based on john keel's book instead of trying to force this narrative that really didn't happen fully so anyway bygones be got bygones when it comes to screams nathaniel what do you give it oh two yeah i gave it a two as well it's not scary uh, it's very tense, dramatic. Uh, there are a few jump scares, but other than that, it's very tame. Very tame. Sterile. I like that word. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you give it as fresh crowns? You know, I, I gave it a six. I, I feel like we've ragged on it a little bit over the last few minutes, but again, I, I come back to this movie again and again. Not because I think it's a work of art and, you know, the best movie ever. It's no hereditary. But there's a nostalgia to it, and again, I think it speaks to a lot of those universal feelings we have all had when we're out in the wilderness and we think we hear or we think we see something. And I don't know, it draws you in, and it's powerful in that regard. Yeah, I, I uh, give it a six as well, uh, pretty much for the same reasons. I, I enjoy the film. I own it. I, I mean, but, I, but I guess to be fair, though, I bought uh, my copy from a thrift store. So yeah, I like it. It's fun. I'll I'll visit it again at some point. But you know, it's not like a must-watch every year kind of movie. It's a every decade or so I'll go. Oh yeah, Mothman. Yeah, and then I watch it. All right. Well, should we uh, move on to our very special interview? Yes, I'm very excited for this interview. Um, I have a coworker who one day we were just chatting about who knows what. And she subtly drops that her husband served a religious mission in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And I heard that and I kind of lost my brain a little bit. Freaked out, told her if, or asked her if he knew anything about the Mothman, and she quickly texted him. And the answer is yes. <laughs> um, and it's the closest I've come to Point Pleasant and actually being where the Mothman stuff happened. So, I think without further ado, we can play this interview with Jordan. Um, He's going to talk to us about kind of his experience in the area and talking to people who are alive during the Mothman situation. 
and then also the amazing Mothman Festival that started in 2002. All right, Jordan Runyon, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We really appreciate you taking the time to do this for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you mind just kind of explaining to our audience who you are, a little bit what you do, kind of your profession? Just kind of give them some flavors of, of who this crazy person is who knows a lot about the Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I know some. Uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a software developer by, by trade. I went to the University of Utah studying game development and got my degree in that. And right now I work for a company called R. Donnelly, where we do application development for our clients when they bring in their requests for massive jobs of whether it's like bank statements or notices or invoices or checks like the kind of mail that's actually important not junk mail <laughs> uh, we take all that kind of information and process it and then print it and we we handle that whole workflow so i do the app development for that so that's kind of what i do during the day <laughs> <laughs> me and my co-host nathaniel were huge gamers so you having a degree in game development is gonna make us drool a little bit do you have a favorite video game of like all time um, uh, i would i would yes. say like <laughs> i would say like the metroid series all right. is is one of my all-time favorites cool uh, growing up playing like super metroid and looking forward to metroid prime 4 if it ever happens yeah we'll see COVID may have other plans for us. Um, I am terrible at first-person shooters and side-scroller shooters, so I love the Metroid series, but I've actually never played them from start to finish because I give up and rage quit. <laughs> they do have a difficulty curve that takes some <laughs> learning, but... Well, I know you kind of tangentially. I worked with your wife um, at the research company that I'm still with, and it was kind of fun because one day I was talking about the podcast and crazy show that i love a lot um mothman prophecies and how a lot of the mothman sightings were originated in point pleasant west virginia and she got really excited and really animated and told me that you actually spent some time there and you'll have to talk to her after we're done recording because i lost my marbles a little bit when i found that out so we're really excited to kind of hear some stories from someone who's actually been there um, but before we dive into that, Jordan, uh, whenever we have a guest on the podcast, we love to ask them about scary movies. That's kind of the bread and butter of this podcast. So do you have a, a favorite scary slash horror movie slash suspense slash slasher, whatever horror means to you? I haven't seen a whole lot of scary or horror films in my day, but there are a couple that stand out to me. My favorite that I like enjoyed and it, you know, watched with friends. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Darkness Falls, but it's oh, like a... it's so good. <laughs> it, it was fun because we literally made fun of it almost the whole time in kind of an uh, ironic perspective, uh, because it's literally the tooth fairy that everyone's <laughs> afraid of. <laughs> and yeah, so it's it's it definitely kind of a of. a twist on the whole you know tooth fairy kind of a thing. Yeah, so it was kind of easy to poke fun at and not be completely just scared out of my mind. Um, but it had some good jump scares and things like that. Yeah, that I would say that was probably my favorite that I can remember. Okay. Um, so now let's dive a little bit deeper. What's the scariest horror movie you think you've ever seen? 
one that you can't poke fun of because it's too terrifying. Uh, I'm just going to call out a, an old classic, Jaws. That scene where they like see the corpse under the water is just so terrifying still. Yeah, or just the opening scene with the girl in the water. Oh, totally. Where, where she's just swimming. Freaks me out. We have not covered Jaws actually on this podcast, and I think we need to. It's such a great movie and an iconic horror film. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's cut the crap, Jordan. Let's talk about The Mothman. Um, Sounds good. All right. Tell us a little bit about why you were in Point Pleasant. You're from originally Utah, right? Uh, yeah, more or less. I've lived okay. here the greater portion of my life, I suppose. Um, but I was in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, because I was serving a, an LDS mission for two years in the West Virginia area. And I was in Point Pleasant for about four months. And so that, that was the reason I was there, kind of to give some context. Okay. Um, and I know some of our listeners might, be not, might not be familiar with LDS missions, but you're essentially in a certain area for about two years, kind of sharing the gospel of the LDS faith and, and really kind of bunkering down and getting to know the people and the culture. Correct? Correct. And we definitely get... A full dose of the culture uh, <laughs> while we're there, and Point Pleasant was no exception. <laughs> I bet. Um, can you kind of go into a little bit about the culture and the demographics? Like, if you could describe what the city of Point Pleasant is like to somebody, what would you describe it as? Yeah, so it's actually a really interesting like geographic location, because Point Pleasant is right on the Ohio River on the border between West Virginia and Ohio, uh, right across the rivers, Gallipolis, Ohio. And there's a bridge, a new bridge. <laughs> we'll, talk about, <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll talk about the old bridge in a minute. <laughs> there's a new bridge, really nice bridge, uh, goes across between uh, the two cities. And Point Pleasant, it has some really interesting history behind it. Back in like the revolution and like the American Revolution times where they built a bunker on this point. And there's this giant mural around the flood wall that um, borders the town and the river. And it has this massive mural depicting the kind of the colonists meeting and even fighting with uh, Native Americans in that area. It's amazing. It, this mural is just so detailed. It, it was really, really cool. We definitely went there just a couple times took pictures and just looked at it and walked around it's a really cool historic location that's awesome that sounds very like parks and rec pawnee-esque all those crazy mur murals that they have in the city building um yeah. and as far as the people go was it a kind of a wealthy area more on the impoverished side it was um, definitely a less wealthy area uh, a lot of west virginia i i'm not going to say it's like really poor but it definitely is on the lower income side of things especially because of just kind of the the history of the state west virginia used to be a very wealthy state um in the kind of mid 1800s when coal was really valuable and the whole country ran on it um i think there's a city called welch west virginia it was the second largest slash wealthiest city in america next to new york 
um, at the time. Now it's a ghost town. So kind of a lot of the state has kind of reverted and is in this kind of state of un, unending, um, not poverty, but just kind of trying to catch back up sure. because they fell into this recession because coal was no longer as important and as uh, wealth generating for the state uh, anymore. And that was their whole industry. So Point Pleasant is kind of just kind of part of all of that. So were the people that you were interacting with on a daily basis, did you find that they were very religious, very conservative, very kind of traditional in their beliefs? Did you see a lot of that when you were over there? Was it, I just kind of want to paint a picture of the superstition of people. Were they very kind of right-wing Christians or were there some kind of oddballs here and there? And I use that term with delicacy, oddball. <laughs> well, in, in Point Pleasant, it, it's kind of interesting because you have Ohio. So there's a little, some influence from the Ohio side of things, which isn't very similar to like the Deep South uh, stereotype, but you still have the West Virginia side of things. And so there are people who are very, very passionate about their beliefs. And then you have people who just don't really care or don't really see the point or don't see the, the relevance to religion in general. But there are definitely people who are very passionate about what they believe there. All right, so let's kind of dive into more of the Mothman focus of the right. Of this the reason we're here. Yeah, exactly. So, so, did you know anything about the Mothman before going into Point Pleasant? Uh, not a thing. I didn't oh, even know it was a thing. Missed um, opportunity, Jordan. <laughs> but the the day I got there, LDS missionaries are split up into companionships, so you have a companion. So there's two of you. And so my companion, as soon as I got there, he started telling me everything about the Mothman, actually. <laughs> as he's a like, good person should. He's like, Elder, I have stories to tell you. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, um, like what? And he begins to tell me as we're driving kind of into actual Point Pleasant area, he, we were driving through what's called the TNT area, which is where there uh, used to be old like bomb testing sites for world war ii and people still say oh there's un untriggered landmines and all kinds of stuff out there which is true i doubt they would have that kind of thing on american soil <laughs> that people could just accidentally wander into but we we're driving through there and he starts telling me oh yeah so there's this thing and it's called the mothman and everyone here believes in him <laughs> and if you start talking to anyone here about the Mothman, you'll get them to talk to you. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, you know, what you're doing. If you say, you know, hey, have you, have you guys heard of the Mothman? Or do you, do you know who the Mothman is? Or do you, have you guys been to like the museum? People will tell you their whole life story and how it relates to the Mothman somehow. That is so awesome. Obviously, it sounds like that the Mothman is just a huge part of the culture of Point Pleasant. And I know they actually have a festival in September where, weirdly enough, they have like a pancake eating contest and stuff like that. But do you remember the first time you were talking to someone from the city and they brought up Mothman? Like, I know you heard about him from your companion, but when was like the first time a native told you about them and, and their story? 
Yeah. So the first time, I don't remember how long I had been there, but I just remember this guy. He didn't really seem like he was all the way there. He might've been drinking. Who knows? Um, but he kind of came up to us and he said, have you guys, have you heard about the Mothman? Have you seen him? Oh, and we're like, yeah, man, we know what the Mothman is. He's like, I've seen him too. I saw him yesterday. And we were like, really? He's like, yeah. And we're like, we saw him the other day too. Because you just kind of have to go oh, yeah, along yeah. with it, especially when you tell someone's inebriated or something like that. You, just, you don't really want to make them mad. That is amazing. That was probably the first time. I recall someone approaching me and just talking about the Mothman and wanting to know if we had seen him. Awesome. So you said people talk about him a lot. Are are people constantly saying that they've seen him and and all of that? Or is it just kind of something that everyone talks about, but no one really believes? Does that make sense? It's hard to tell because I'm sure there are plenty of people who just kind of see it as kind of pop culture, some kind of, you know, just fun conversational piece. They don't really believe that he exists, but they like to talk about him because it's a fun thing, especially for people who aren't from there. Sure. They love to talk to him because it's, it's something that's unique to them. No one else has a Mothman. No one else has a Mothman statue downtown, right across from their, like, city hall. <laughs> so it, it's something they can be kind of proud of and that is very unique to them that, they get excited about even if they may not believe it is real or not uh, and talk to us about kind of both the statue and the museum and particularly the museum i want to know everything that was in that stupid place <laughs> yeah so it was several years ago so i don't remember everything that was in it but we did ha- i did have the opportunity to actually go through and the guy who owned it like let us go through for free normally normally you have to pay um but he let us come through and they've got They've got a few things that kind of highlight the the movie, the Mothman prophecies, and then there's also a documentary that they did about it that's separate. And they have some uh, TVs kind of going that have information about those, but then they have all kinds of artifacts and things that have been claimed to be part of the Mothman or look like they could have been part of the Mothman or things that were owned by people who were on the bridge when it collapsed because... The Mothman has this unique tie to the Silver City Bridge collapse uh, that happened in, I think it was 1967. Yep, right December, December 14th. People swear that they saw the Mothman on top of that bridge right before it collapsed. And we met a lady whose husband died on that bridge. And Gosh. to this day, she still believes that the Mothman <laughs> was on that bridge. Wow. Right before it collapsed. Wow. And and that's kind of the lore of the Mothman. Is, and I apologize, it was December 15, 1967, that they would see this creature, this red-eyed, glowing monster, essentially, with a 10-foot wingspan. And typically something bad would happen afterwards. And really the culmination of everything was the silver bridge that collapsed. And 46 people died. Like, it was a big thing. Did you hear anybody else who knew anybody on the bridge or experienced that? I mean, 1967 is really not that long ago. Yeah, no, I I don't remember anyone specifically. I'm sure we ran into some people who either knew of or had some kind of relation to someone who was there. But I do remember this one lady uh, in particular 
because she was a widow and she just hadn't been married since then. Like she never remarried. Uh, and she, I think she said they had just been married like that week. So they hadn't been married very long. Yeah. Um, did she give you any inclination of what she thought the Mothman was? Because some people think it is kind of a cryptozoid, which is like Bigfoot. It's just an undiscovered animal. Um, others say it's a demon or even an alien. Did she give any inclination of what she thought it was? Um, I I don't remember if I don't want to speak for her, but I don't remember exactly what she believed he was. Um, I know what I think he was if he did really exist, but that's not related to her. Well, but... we're getting there, Jordan, so don't you worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have any other stories from people who may have mentioned Mothman or experiences that you can remember other than the statue, the museum, and this lady? It's not necessarily related to someone who was from there, but I did have the opportunity to show my mission president, who is kind of in charge of all the missionaries in that area. Uh, he came and visited us uh, for an afternoon, came and had lunch with us, and we asked him, Hey, President, have you heard of the Mothman? Have you, have you ever seen it? And he's like, no, I don't think I have. And we said, well, before you go, you have to come see the statue. And <laughs> we went down to the statue and got pictures with him. And it was like the envy of all the other missionaries. Whenever I'd show him my picture with the mission president in front of the Mothman, they're like, no way. That's not real. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And for those who don't know, like mission presidents are supposed to be kind of like the spiritual guide for all of these young missionaries in the area. Like you look up to these men and they're very sometimes stoic, sometimes very approachable, but very spiritual religious men. And so I, I can't imagine how like paradoxical that must have been to have this guy at this crazy statue of the Mothman. Yeah, no, and he was a funny guy too. But the, I'm looking at the picture right now, and he's like holding his hand, like as we're taking the picture. Oh, that's <laughs> he's like amazing. reaching up, holding his hand. All right, let's get into the nitty gritty, Jordan. Let's hook you up to a polygraph and see what you think. Oh boy, do you believe in the Mothman? So, I believe that if he was a real entity, that he wasn't some mythical being. I think he was some kind of government project where they were experimenting with like oh, propulsion or okay. something like that. And he had like some kind of suit. If he was a real being, I think he was some kind of government experiment suit that maybe someone had stolen. Maybe someone had used unofficially and love it. They couldn't, they couldn't stop him for a while. And finally, like, all of these th bad things happened, and then finally they were able to, to catch him and stop him. But that's, that's what I think. I don't even know if there's any kind of evidence to support that, but that would make more sense to me than some bug creature <laughs> that is the size of the rock uh, flying around Point Pleasant, West Virginia harassing people you know on a friday night when they're drinking too much like <laughs> so that's that is fascinating i've never heard kind of that theory and i think it actually has quite a bit of credence that um 
who knows what the government has out there and there's so much kind of conspiracy behind ufos and technology and and all of that so i think it's a very plausible kind of idea i love it i don't know what i believe about the mothman i think he just needs a friend and <laughs> somewhere he bigfoot and el chupacabra are just playing cards and loving life and hopefully not causing any other problems um in tandem with that though do you think that the mothman had anything to do with the silver bridge is that just kind of coincidental and you know kind of this mothman paradigm gave the people of point pleasant something to have catharsis in it was this terrible disaster 46 people died instead of blaming the engineering or the construction of the bridge let's this creature right and like i don't see how a single individual could cause that kind of collapse i definitely think the bridge collapsed because of a fail of engineering or just because it was getting old like um they actually i can't remember if they reconstructed it or if there's just another part of the bridge that still exists that just trains go across now and there's not like cars that go across it but like I don't think the Mothman was actually the reason. If if he was, I don't think he did it alone. Ah, more Mothmen. Mothwomen? Well, <laughs> may, maybe not more Mothmen. Maybe just like normal people who were involved. Who knows? I think we have a shirt, though, in the making now that is just going to be, I am a Mothman. Mothmen. I don't know. <laughs> it's brilliant. All right. Well, Jordan, that's kind of all the questions we had for you today. Um, again, thank you so much. It's always fun to have people on our show that have real life experience with a lot of this stuff and not everyone gets out to Point Pleasant and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been, it's been fun to talk about. <laughs> um, so your wife let me know. I am a big nerd. I love Blizzard. She said that you do a lot with Hearthstone. If people are interested in games like that, can they find you anywhere? We'd love to give you a social media blitz or, or yeah, recommend people so, to you. Yeah, so I I do uh I have hosted a lot of Hearthstone events and, and other just esports uh events in general. Uh and also lately I've been kind of streaming on Twitch TV, uh kind of semi frequently a couple nights a week. So I have just my Twitter if you want to follow that. It's just Jordan Runyon. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, not hard to find. Jordan underscore Runyon. And then my Twitch is twitch.tv slash Moadib, M-O-H-A-D-I-B. It's kind of a nod to the old Dune uh, movie slash book, if you've ever read those. It's a classic uh, sci-fi. Yeah, we know what we're doing. <laughs> well, so. awesome well thanks again we really appreciate it jordan yeah absolutely thank you so much again for having me oh, that was such a fun interview with jordan thank you again jordan um please if you have any interest in his video gaming or his twitch feed definitely check out uh his tags that he dropped in the interview great guy yeah, I uh, am kind of bummed I didn't get to actually participate in the interview. But uh, life uh, comes at me fast. <laughs> that it does. All right, Nathaniel, before we, we wrap up and talk about staying spooky and all of that, let's let's dissect the Mothman story a little bit. I, I've kind of 
dropped little niblets of why I love the Mothman and why I think he's so popular. Um, so if you'll allow me, I just kind of want to reify that a little bit more. Go ahead. Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, I think the Mothman speaks to a lot of people because we all have been camping or hiking or been alone in the dark, driving at night, and we see something that maybe we can't explain. And logically, we want to, of course, push it aside and think of it as, you know, just something weird that we saw. And Mothman, in particular, to me at least, is one of the cryptozoid stories where multiple people claim that they saw something over the course of a year. So that isolated experience we have in the mountains or driving alone, you take that and then what happens if a hundred people in your city say they saw the same thing you did? It definitely kind of changes the feeling of what you saw. Uh, and so for me, that's why I love the Mothman is because you have Bigfoot and you have a Chupacabra, Jersey Devil, Loch Ness, and all of these acclaimed monsters that we have in the world. Nothing, I think, comes quite as close to Mothman because all of these sightings happened within a year and then we didn't hear really for Mothman until 1999 with the Russia apartment bombings. And I don't know, I think there is a pull there that the other monsters out there, the other creatures, don't have. It's kind of a, a novel situation that just doesn't exist everywhere. Even with alien abductions and sleep paralysis and all of that, it was an isolated event that, yeah, we could probably explain through science and rationality. I don't know, what do you think? What do you think about that? Would you agree? Do you disagree? What? What draws you to the Mothman, I think? I think at the end of the day, the thing that, that draws me to the Mothman is the inherent ridiculousness of it. I <laughs> love cryptids because they are, in most cases, kind of off-the-wall absurd. We have Loch Ness Monster, which is basically a dinosaur in Scotland. We have... Jersey Devil, which is a flying goat man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have yeah, we have, there's Goatman, there's Sasquatch, which is, you know, some big ape-like man thing running around that apparently, you know, we 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 can spot it, but we can't ever actually get a good picture of it, heaven forbid. There there's the the chupacabra, the goat sucker, which is, you know, probably just a deranged uh coyote. Like, there's, there's just so many things about cryptids that, like, I, I love them, I find them interesting, but what I love about them is that they are absurd, but people say that they saw them, and have interacted with them, or, you know, were attacked by them, and, like, that's, I don't know, like, like part of me wants these things to be real, because... Like, what could be greater than, like, a crazy moth guy who, like, is attracted to disasters, who, like, flies around and, like, freaks out people, like, horny teenagers in their cars? It sounds like a Pokemon entry. Like, this moth creature that, you know, always appears when there's something dangerous about to happen. Like, like you say, it's just yeah. so bonkers. And, and, like, I love that kind of thing. Like, to me, the bonkersness of it, 
the fact that like I can I can go in deep and I can like take it seriously and I can do lots of research about it. Like like I can go I can spend hours digging into the Mothman, but at the end of the day, it's probably a big frickin' owl that people saw and like that's fine. Just like to me, like the all of the lore, all of the things that people pour into these these things is just inherently fascinating to me. And also, like, I love that I can laugh about it, but also go down some crazy internet rabbit holes of research. I do want to make the caveat that I am, by education, a biologist. My degree is in zoology. Uh, and so as a biologist, as a zoologist, I cannot make the claim that, you know, we know for certain that there are certain kinds of animals you know, if they're giant owls or giant ape men, whatever they may be, exist. But I, I think that's bad science to have an absolute they do not exist. But I think what we're yeah. lacking is a lot of scientific evidence of, I don't think it's a giant moth man that is chasing after people and causing natural disasters to happen. I think it might be an undiscovered species of owl, of, you know, or stork or heron or, or some kind of bird. We just don't have all the facts. And like you say, because we're missing those facts, people go crazy with it. And, and that's the fun thing yeah. about cryptozoids. Yeah. And, and I, like in, in this case, I, I'm guessing it's probably one that was, you know, migrating. Like, like it's one that isn't indigenous to the area, which is why people, when they encountered it, didn't immediately go, oh, it's this thing. You know, they it, it must have been, you know... Uh, introduced artificially or whatever it could be navigating and ended up getting trapped for a year who knows but we have a weird bird or a group of weird birds that are flying around they're real big they look kind of freaky uh they have really reflective eyes people are real scared of them for a while that they get out of the area it happens to coincide with this bridge collapsing things move on and then you know like that's what i'm guessing he is but I don't know that. It really could be the Mothman. Who knows? And <laughs> at the end of the day, I love not knowing that answer. Um, okay, I think that does about it for Mothman. Do you have anything else, Nathaniel? I uh, just want to know how you're staying spooky. Um, I'm staying spooky with a new horror film that I found on Shudder. I also found it on the up-and-coming or social media app Slasher, there was a lot of talk about a movie called Z. Uh, the letter Z. And we watched it together, Nathaniel, and it was pretty good. Yep. Um, Slasher, they were talking a lot about how it was one of the scariest movies they've ever seen, and one person like vocally screamed in the movie, which I think that is a little crazy. It wasn't that scary. <laughs> Um, yeah, like it was a plot, creepy movie, but it wasn't. The plot was very well developed. They had a lot of good practical effects mixed with special effects. Um, essentially, it was an imaginary friend retelling. Kid has an imaginary friend who starts to do some very bad things. Come to find out, the imaginary friend is actually after the mother of the kid. Um, and it spirals from there. Spoiler. I won't. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you can kind of see it coming, though, let's be honest. It, it was pretty good. We may or may not do an episode on it in the future, but if you have a Shutter subscription, it's one of their better movies. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a Shutter original, and it's fun. 
they they usually do a pretty good job, but this one is a little bit higher tiered than what they usually put out. How about you, Nathaniel? What are you doing? Uh, so I have just recently started watching the 50 States of Fright uh, Quibi series. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Quibi, it's like a phone-only streaming service. The only reason I am subscribing to it is because I can get it free through T-Mobile. So if you have T-Mobile, get it for free because free. But basically, it is a horror anthology series, uh, and each one is, is each episode is is kind of split into two or three parts. Each you know part is like eight minutes long thereabouts. So you know each overall story ends up being like fifteen to thirty minutes max. Each one is set in a different state. It's trying to have different filmmakers with each one. I've only watched the first one, uh, which is called like Golden Arm or the Golden Hand or something like that. Uh, it was actually directed by Sam Raimi, so they uh, definitely got some big uh, horror names for that one. And yeah, so they're they're trying to showcase just a lot of different horror actors, a lot of horror directors and writers. Uh, it's it's fun. It's you know basically if you like fun horror anthology series, a la Tales of the Crypt, but this one is is specifically you know made to be shorter, much more kind of consumable in, in a short period of time. And yeah, like they are doing a good job. Like the the effects are pretty good. The acting's pretty good. You know, they even have some kind of like fairly big hitters in terms of actors. You know, we have Ming Na Wen, uh, who I I know as Disney's Mulan from the original Mulan, and also she's in Agent Shield. Uh, we have like favorite child actor Lulu Wilson is in an episode. We have Taisa Farmiga in one. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty good spread of uh, horror people and uh, some other actors who are not in horror usually making a, a fun series. So definitely, if you have Quibi, check it out. Uh, maybe just get a free trial to Quibi. I think there's like a 30-day thing. Maybe wait until the, the season's done and then watch all of them in a short period of time. Yeah, that's uh, how I've been staying spooky. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in. We've had a blast this episode. Uh, make sure you're staying safe. Uh, it's a crazy time we're living in. And also, most importantly, stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.